Thunderbolt strength. Welcome to the Thunderbolt Strength Podcast, where we hear about the lives of strong people. This is Brian Hankins. I have my co-host, Molly. Hi, Brian. And Kevin. What's up, Brian? Today, we have John Ziegler, CrossFit coach, VP of sales and marketing at a cannabis dispensary, and a brand new husband. Welcome, John. Hi. Good to have you. So we've got our usual... We're a little out of practice, but we made our usual list of questions. And this we'll, is the start of season three. It is, is the start of season three. three. I think there was one episode in season two, yeah, which yeah. was with Bob. Yeah, it was so good that we could just cut the season right there. <laughs> we were yeah. like, we can't. That's talk a this. lot of pressure to come yeah. into like this. So we were like, we need like, to bring just, a big you know, hitter in yeah, for the beginning of season three. Here, some- I'm going to give this to Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> we're like, we need someone who sells weed. <laughs> <laughs> we're like, what will really bring in the audience? What are our listeners? I mean, I am to- living like narcos in real life. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so he's going to have a lot of good stories for us. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we should, should we start No, there? no. See, Kevin. You it. love backstory. We have to start. Everyone wants to know the backstory. All How right. did John become the man he is today? We need a little bit of backstory at least. So tell us a little bit about where you grew up, where you were born. Did you, have you always been into sports or did that come later in life? Um, so, okay. Uh, so I was born in a town so nice they named it twice called Walla Walla, Washington. Oh, yeah. Walla yeah. Walla, Washington. Yeah, it's known for onions. That about okay. caps it out, and I didn't live there long. Um, I actually grew up in Oregon, in Eugene, Oregon. So um, in the 70s, because I'm older, but uh, if you don't know Eugene, Eugene's really well known for track and field. I also oh, yeah, seem yeah. to remember a very good waffle place in Eugene, Oregon. There's probably lots of good waffle yeah. places, yeah. Um, so I, I grew up around track and field. Uh like running was such a big deal in Eugene that they started everybody in elementary school. Like you could start competitively running in elementary school. My first, uh, sport, I guess that I did was I did cross country in elementary school. Um, I did my first district track meet in like, I think the fourth grade. Wow. You start too young. Is this kind of like in Texas? It's cool if you're playing football and in Eugene, it's cool if you're a runner. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If you didn't run in Eugene, everybody thought you were weird. Like you had like a third head. So, and that, that was, it was running track and field. Um, I played soccer for a little bit, baseball until high school. And then in high school, I discovered skateboarding and BMX bikes and that changed the trajectory of kind of my athletic world. Um, but growing up in Oregon, I mean, we grew up doing stuff outdoors all the time. So lots of hiking, lots of camping. That's awesome. Yeah. I remember the first conversation my dad and I had about camping. We were out in the middle of the woods cause in Oregon you actually camp in the woods. And he was like, Hey, when you go play, if you get lost, look up and find the sun, then you'll come back. And I was nice. like, okay. <laughs> Does it just take me straight yeah. back to the campsite? <laughs> like, I don't know sun. how that really worked. So, yeah. I, uh, so, yeah, I grew up around all that. And then um, I left when I was 18 and joined the military. Okay. When you were running, was it like super competitive or was it more just for fun? Like, were, no, it was super competitive. Were you one of those people that were like, I guess what I'm trying to get at is were you like, you know, 
What's the movie where they're the runners running along the beach? Not, no. Forrest Gump. No. No, Chariots of Fire. <laughs> Thank you. Chariots yeah, of Fire. Bro. There were like the two guys, right? Yeah. There was the one that did it for like the love of running and the other that did it for the competition. Were you more on one side or the other? I wanted all the ribbons. Okay. Like they gave out ribbons at the end and I knew immediately after my first meet, I was like, there's numbers on the ribbon and I had my mom explain to me yeah. what the numbers meant. So I wanted the best number I could find. Yeah. So it was constant. Like, I think my first uh, cross country meet, like, I, I think I finished fourth. And then after that, it was like second, second, second. Yeah. I was like, I, I was really want that, that number yeah, one. I really wanted that first place one. But the kid that took first was just ridiculous. I'm pretty sure yeah. he was on steroids at yeah. a really young age. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I was super competitive yeah. with running, like, right out of the gate. Got it. And then what led you into the military? It was. Um, for me, it was actually, so I didn't like really pay attention in high school in class. (laughs) So I had two options. I could either like get a job locally, um, which I had a lot of buddies who did and they just kind of got stuck or I could join the military and I come from a long line of of people who have served in the military. Um, so it was just kind of a natural evolution. Yeah. My original goal was to join the Marines and, Mm -hmm. um, but there's a family tradition of the Navy in my family. Okay. So I came home on my 18th birthday and, uh, my dad actually had a naval recruiter standing in the living room and wow. that, that was just how it went. That's hardcore. And yeah. then what was your experience in the Navy? Was it positive, negative? What was it? Yeah, no, it was, it was positive. I actually, so I was in, uh, from 91 to 95 and my first duty station was Japan. So I got to spend two years over in Japan. Um, I was a jet engine mechanic on A6 Intruders, which is an nice. attack aircraft. And we flew uh, support bombing runs into Iraq while I was there. Wow. Um, I did three tours in the Gulf. And in four years, I clocked close to three years actually out at sea. Wow. Yeah. So... Lots of sea time, but it was cool. I got to go all over the world. I, I went play, when I got home and came back to Eugene after I got out of the military. It was really weird because yeah. the experience, like the things I had seen, like my friends that had stayed, yeah. were still like, "Hey, man, we're going to Denny's to drink coffee and play magic. Do you want to come?" <laughs> and I was like, "I mean, yeah, I'll come, but you guys don't want to go do something else. Yeah. Like, there's all kinds of other there's things. There's a whole other world out yeah. there. <laughs> I mean, by then I had gone to." Um, Sicily, Italy, Spain, Greece, uh, Hong Kong, Singapore, Thailand, Diego Garcia, Dubai, Jabal Ali, Abu Dhabi, Bahrain. Like wow, so you hit it a bunch. Yeah. All Was over. there like one thing that you feel like the military taught you besides airplane mechanics or I guess naval mechanics? Uh, yeah, I am. I I don't like to be late. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like to be late. I, yeah. I will show up for things insanely early. Yeah, that's interesting. We're kind of that way too, Molly and I, where it's like yeah. we get stressed if we feel like we're going to be late for something. My father is late for everything, and so I get yeah, very stressed if I'm late. I don't like to be late. Yeah. yeah. What about you, Kevin? You late or on time? I don't like to be late, <clears throat> but I don't mind if others are late. Oh, see, so yeah, yeah, I, I don't do well with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Man, good thing we made it to that wedding on time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <Woo-hoo. laughs> I know. I know a girl who went to one of John's classes when he coached at a different place. And she was late, so he made her do burpees, so she left the gym. <laughs> <laughs> yep, so we, could, we, we could think it's military career for that. Yeah, you can think. Uh, I, I'll tell you how that got embedded in me. Um, 
quick story. I was stationed over in Japan. We were out at the enlisted club on base and everybody was drinking in our shop. Uh, the shop petty officer in charge came up to me. He's like, Hey, I'm going back. I'm going to go to sleep. You need to make sure everybody here gets up and makes it to the shop on time. And I was like, all right, I got it. I mm-hmm. can handle it. I went back, made sure everybody got back to their barracks, fell asleep, woke up. My alarm <laughs> didn't go off. Oh, I'm no. the one guy who didn't make it in to work on time. And uh, as my punishment, it was summertime. It's super hot out. And they were like, it's okay. You just go to clean out the hazardous material locker all day, uh, which was just this cement shack with no windows, uh, one door. And so I was huffing paint fumes in a cement shack like the entire terrible. day with a hangover. It was not a good experience. That sounds like my nightmare. So I often, you know, as an early morning coach, you set your alarm, you double check it, you triple check it, you fall asleep, you wake up and you're like, is my alarm, is it on? And you check it again. That sounds like my nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. It's, Rachel actually sets four alarms. It is now my nightmare when she has to get up early. <laughs> they start going off at 3 a.m. Oh, yeah. oh 3 a.m. You see her over there laughing? It's it's really like, they start going off at 3 a.m. The dogs start waking up at 3 a.m. I'm like, come on. It's so funny. Yeah. Well, that's one way to be on time. Yeah. It works. When you were in the military, were you into fitness or did that just come later? No, actually, so when I was in the military, yeah, I I liked staying fit in the military. I didn't understand not being fit and being in the military. Like, that just blew my mind. I was like, how do you sit around and not be fit when you're in, like, a fighting force? Like, this is literally what you're there to do is, like, sail the seas and protect, like, the world. And you're, like, not able to fit into your uniform. It, like, just blew my mind. So, yeah, I stayed fit, like did it whatever I could. The gym on a boat is a very different experience than like a gym on shore because as the boat pitches and rocks, you're, oh, yeah. you're doing bench press. It's a real challenge. So it's testing your stability. Yeah. I like that. A little yeah. core engagement. Giving, giving you some ideas there, huh, Ma? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's see if we can pitch the gym back and forth in the Just middle of the all the benches on like... Yeah. You should do a birth fit cruise. A birth <laughs> fit cruise. <laughs> hey, I like it. I like it. <clears throat> so... You wrap up the military career. You get back home. You're a changed man. Everyone else is the same. What's next? Um, yeah, so <laughs> I decided I wasn't going to do anything I didn't want to do for a while because I spent four years doing what everybody told me I had sure. to do. That makes total sense. Yeah, so uh, I job hopped for a little while um, doing retail, actually, until I wound up in a skate shop which was just a great time. I yeah. did that for like a couple of years um, and then job hopped for a while longer. Where are we at time frame now? Uh, that would have been like late 90s, early okay. 2000. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So I, when I got done with uh, working in a skate shop, now you're make me think, what did I do after that? Uh, late 90s was like prime skate shop. I was too. just going to say yeah. that was like, I had another uh, a cousin who was like super into the skate world like that same time. Was that like, and I don't know, it just yeah, seemed that like that like, was like everything was hitting or something. Yeah, in like Tony Hawk yeah. just like pulled like a 900 and everybody 900, was super big yes. on like the X Games and it was a big deal. Yeah. So yeah, we saw all kinds of traffic come through. So it was, a, it was cool to do yeah. it. Like the X Games had literally just started. Um, and then I, I got out of doing that and 
just kind of floated for a little while, to be honest. I was like, you were still in Eugene or no, at that point I was in Portland, Oregon or Portland. Okay. Yeah. But then I made my way back to Eugene after I got done doing skate shops in Portland. And, um, when I got back to Eugene, I just kind of floated around for a little bit and wasn't really sure what I was going to do. And then in 2003, um, actually got a job as a trainer at gold's gym. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I started doing that and uh, worked my way up through Gold's Gym. At the same time, I was also head of security at a bar in in Eugene at the same time. But um, I made my way up through the Gold's Gym ranks to become like a regional manager and uh, ran gyms from Seattle, Washington to Albuquerque, New Mexico. Mm -hmm. Did that until 2006. Um, at so, which point I switched careers and got into the education field working for the for-profit education system okay. at a university. Okay. Before we switch to the for-profit university, yep. what was life like running a gold's gym and why are you not still doing that today? <laughs> um, wait, well, are there still gold's gyms? Yeah, there's still, okay. I mean, Just it's checking. not a lot of them, but, okay. um, probably not many actually anymore. So Gold's gym was definitely an experience. So a Gold's gym, any big box gyms, and I'm about to go on a rant about big box. Oh, gyms, no, here we go. So here we go. Um, <laughs> big box gyms have a membership system that banks on people not coming to use the gym. Sure. Like their whole goal is to like bring as many people in at the beginning of the year as, as humanly possible, mm-hmm. sign them on contracts for like low monthly dues mm-hmm. and then never see and them And hope again. they never show up. Right. And hope they never show up and that they never remember to cancel their membership. That mm-hmm. is literally the business model for, it doesn't matter if it's LA fitness, gold's gym. Yeah. Planet fitness is a little bit different because they actually give you pizza and Tootsie rolls and bagels. So they're actively making you unhealthy. They're actively, yeah, they're actively like, <laughs> you have they don't, they to don't come ignore back you. because just... we're giving you bad food. Yeah. Um, and the so. low price makes it so that you you don't think to cancel it. Yeah, no, like, yeah. Oh, and they, they make it very well, hard to cancel. Oh, yeah. That was yeah, my experience. Hard. Yeah. And then it's also probably just like aspirational. You're kind of like, oh, I'm not going to cancel because I'm going to get back to the gym. 100%. You know, it's one of those things. Yeah. But yeah. they do make it hard. They're like, if you've moved and forgotten... They're like, oh, you moved, so yeah. you have to come in to actually cancel this. You're like, I'm yeah. five states away. Like, doesn't matter. Come in. They made me write a letter, like yeah. a snail mail letter, and send it in. I love so it. Export. It was export. I do the same thing. And I was like, I'm. I would never come back now. After I, I, I tore my ACL, I went in there on crutches. I was like, I need to cancel my membership. I'm out for like six months. And they're like, Nope, you need to send a letter to. Oh, uh, that's hilarious. That was the same thing. I had a shoulder injury, so I was like, I, I you know, I need to stop my membership. And they made this big folder all about sending in a letter. And I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm never coming back. So yeah. <laughs> I'll write the letter and goodbye, export. So were you ready to be done because you kind of felt like you weren't actually helping people get healthy? Or were there other reasons that made you move on? Yeah, I mean, the the politics of it was part of that. You know, seeing kind of what the the policies and procedures were and what their real thought process was towards people. Yeah. Um, and that and, you know... The individuals that I worked for, so I worked for a, a franchise owner that owned all these different, a franchise group that yeah. owned all these franchises, and they were more concerned with like taking money out and spending it than they were to like putting it back into actually fixing things. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it just got to a point, and that in the end, as the regional, I was on the road so much, I didn't even have a home. Like all my stuff was in storage, and I couldn't justify like paying rent somewhere because I yeah. wasn't there. Uh, and I was living in hotels 
Oh, and yeah, so yeah. I was just wasn't like, much of a life. No, I got yeah. to a point. I was like, no, nah, I, I don't want to do this anymore. It's not worth it. Were you doing something to uh, stay in shape or work out? Or was this a, a point in your life where you'd put that like kind of tabled that for a little bit? Or No, actually. So at that point in time, um, it was well, I can do the math. So in April of 2007, uh, I got sober. Okay. And it was at that point in time that I, I hadn't been very active um, because I was drinking all the time, like for years. And I had kind of given up fitness. And when I got sober, uh, I'd been sober for not quite a year when a friend of mine who was also sober said, hey, like, you got to be active because... Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna vibrate out of your shoes and you're gonna end up drinking again. Yeah, yeah. So um, I started rock climbing. Oh, cool. And bouldering specifically. Yeah. So bouldering was really cool. Yeah. And uh, I fell in love with it and I bouldered. There was a bouldering gym in Portland, Oregon called the Circuit, and I went there probably five days a week after work and spent hours. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, and it was really cool. It was a great way to like get back into shape and be active without you know yeah going into like a big box gym and sure kind of feeling like cattle well so was that like a key to the sobriety finding some outlet for your energy is 100%. that what you felt like yeah, yeah totally absolutely and it and staying with that uh fitness activity lifestyle like was a big part of keeping me sober. and then with, was there some like bottom that you hit that made you feel like this is it like i finally got to get serious about getting sober or what what <laughs> made it happen the way it happened yeah so um I actually, so my daughter was born Mm -hmm. and when my daughter was born, her mom and I sat down and her mom said, Hey, look, if you don't stop drinking, like you're never going to see her. Yeah. And I said, okay, like fair enough. That's, that's good enough for me. And, um, so yeah, I just stopped for my daughter at that point in time. Did you go to meetings or? I did. Yeah. I went to meetings for a really long time. Um, I've always been kind of in and out. Yeah. Of meetings through my sobriety um, just kind of depends on where my life is at. Uh, I also developed a regular meditation habit um, that I still do in the mornings. Um, and then, you know, staying active and staying fit and getting into fitness communities was yeah. a big piece for me. The more active I am, the less time I have on my hands to. Yeah, do stupid. Things. Seems to be a big piece. That's a lot of what uh, in the, the episode where we talked with uh, Shane and George, mm-hmm. um, they were both talking about how um, the community, both the community and the working out, have been a big part of staying sober. Yeah, big time, hundred percent. What about the meditation side? I'm interested in that because we hear that component as well. What uh, what type of meditation you do? Like, what's your regular meditation practice look like? I guess if you're still doing it. Sure. Yeah. No. Um, so I actually got into it living in San Diego um, because I was so at the time I living in San Diego I was going to meetings regularly, and then I discovered Spartan races. Mm-hmm. So I was running, going to the gym, doing everything I could to kind of train for those. And one of the things that I had discovered that I, I kind of needed to work on was my ability to breathe. Mm-hmm. And so a friend of mine said, Hey, you should try going to meditation. Like there's this meditation class that takes place like six blocks from where you live yeah. every weekend. Like go check it out. It's free. And I was like, great. 
so I went and, uh, you know, going to meetings like AA and stuff, they always talk about prayer, meditation, those yeah. kinds of things. So I had a regular habit of just kind of like doing some form of like conversation with a higher power. Um, but going to the meditation class, I learned about like breathing and counting your breath and understanding like yeah. when you're doing that process, just letting thoughts flow through and not getting stuck on something and just yeah. using it as an opportunity to kind of clear and ground and center. And so I've maintained that. And so in the mornings, um, when I'm eating breakfast, like I'll take a couple minutes to just kind of like clear my head and say whatever great, uh, whatever gratitude stuff that I want to say, mm -hmm. um, which is a regular part of that process for me. And then, um, I'll go out into the garage and also do something like Ramwad, which is an opportunity to like clear my head as well. And for sure. that practice. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. I've been, it, it's weird when you try to meditate, you figure out how, how hard it is. Yeah, yeah, it's really it's, hard. It's really it's, hard. Yeah, like, it seems easy. like it's easy to just sit there and not think about anything, but it's really hard. Yeah, it's challenging when you sit there and you're yeah. like, I, I've been to, there's a place out in California that uh, it's a hot spring, like, retreat where they do, like, meditation and there's silent pools that you can go to. And I've yeah. been there, like, a few times. And it's really odd to, like, walk around in total silence yeah. around people. And you're, and you're like, okay. So I don't want to think about any, well, no. Okay. Now I'm already thinking about things. Oh yeah. wait. Now, now I'm thinking about more. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I just got to sit. Yeah. Like let it go. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. I'm curious, Kevin, if you've ever tried meditation. I did, yeah, I do a couple actually. Why are you curious if I do? <laughs> well, because I know Bryant's really into meditation. So yeah. I saw these two connect on it and I've tried to do medica meditation, but it's hard for it to stick. I would say I have. <clears throat> so I, as far as how much, we think about on a daily basis kind of in today's society i think if you can focus on one thing that counts as med meditation mm. so if i'm playing guitar that's very meditative if i'm working out i mean no if someone's in the middle of an intense 12 minute workout they're not thinking about anything else they're like just a, thinking about a breathing. movement meditation right. yeah so sure. you've been focused on breathing for 12 minutes that's your meditation i think that's why people feel so much better after a crossfit workout but there's there's also another one where it's you just you count your breath. You start yeah, at one. box breathing is the one I'm able to connect with the most. I yeah. think so. Um, we haven't t talked much about uh, my background. John doesn't know much about my background, but uh, raised in a very conservative uh, religious household, mm -hmm. very very, and um, I consider myself very spiritual. But sometimes um, when things take on too much of a tone that is similar to what I was raised with, it can be difficult for me. So the Same. box breathing yeah. has been, the box breathing I can connect to very well because there's no just centering your mind. And Yeah, I had that, I had that same struggle. It was, it was one of the things I struggled with in early sobriety. Um, and it was because I have a paranoid schizophrenic aunt mm -hmm. who believes God speaks directly to her. And it's been this whole thing within our family. Have you ever been like, what if she's right? <laughs> oh, for sure. I'm I'm sure there were moments like in my life where I was like, well, how do we know she's not right? Yeah. I think I, I stopped thinking that when I was eight years old and she announced that Neil Diamond was the second coming of Jesus Christ and she was very serious. I mean, I mean how do you know he's not? I mean, Sweet Caroline is a great song. Um, but and so I had that I had that same reaction going into like AA and they start talking about God and prayer and everything else. And I'm like, mm, right. 
and this is too much. And luckily for me, my dad's been uh, sober for over 30 years and very heavily involved in like uh, NA and, and whatnot. And he was like, it's spiritual. He's like, it's whatever you need it to be. And then I got to interact with a bunch of his friends who all kind of had that same thought process. And I was like, oh, okay, I get it now. Like it yeah. doesn't have to be like organized like Christianity or Catholicism or anything like that. I think it's very much like you were saying your reaction to being in the military was you're going to take some time to like not do what anybody's telling you to do. Yeah. Um, and I feel like as we become adults, we make our own spirituality, right? Mm-hmm. We're, it doesn't need to be what somebody else says that you exploring it for yourself and finding out what works for you. Yeah. Yeah. I do. Um, for if anybody's listening and they've never tried meditation, I try. I would always say I wanted to do it, and I didn't know how. And then one day, um, someone led me through one, which is really simple, where you just sit down, you close your eyes, and I don't know if this is the same one you're talking about, but you just breathe in and out, and you count your breaths. Mm-hmm. And then as yep. soon as you start thinking about something else, you just start over. Yep. And it's like you might count to two ten times, and like that's it for the day. But if you spend five minutes doing that, it's I mean, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, that, that's... Uh... A, go, a guy named Noel Levine, um, who wrote a book called Dharma Punks, actually talked about that in his book, and that's the first time I, I heard about that. Yeah, that's a great one yeah. if anybody is curious about getting into it. Oh. Yeah, I like that. I, I'd end up doing like the Calm app, but I feel like that one's almost like a little cheating because it's like it's an app, and it's like tracking <laughs> your thing, and then you know it's got someone talking that's telling you to do stuff. I mean, I guess it's a guided meditation. Yeah. Which still counts or whatever, yeah, but it's just counts. funny because it feels like the whole point is sort of to dis, especially for me in IT, it's like I want to disconnect from technology. Yet it's an app to help right. you meditate. <laughs> yeah, just, but it's nice because it's like there's a different daily guided meditation every day that's like ten minutes, so it's right about the right length. And you know, uh, I do like what Kevin was saying though about focusing on one thing. Um, there's a whole ser- series of like ideas and books called flow or sort of getting into flow and you know you see it in like great athletes and it's this idea of like this unconscious state where your body kind of knows what to do and you're focused on this one thing and you're not getting distracted and I think there is something magical to that moment and it happens I think sometimes when we're working out or you know it can be for me playing tennis I've done for 20 years you know where it's just like I everything just kind of focuses on that one moment and works right and there's something really cool about getting into that state. It probably happens, you know, during races too, or when you're running for crazy amounts of miles. And oh, anyway, Spartan race, you were, yeah. that was, you were just getting into Spartan racing, mm-hmm. right? You said you got sober and then started to do that at the same time or, yeah, uh, Spartan racing came a few years after I got sober. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that was, I was living in San Diego and, um, it, I don't even remember how I found it online. I probably was looking for something other than work to look at while I was at work probably yeah. um, and came across, I mean, let's be honest, who doesn't do that? Yeah. You sit at a computer long enough, ADD kicks in. You're like, I wonder what else is out there. Um, so I, what else is on this internet? What else is on this internet? <laughs> what do they have blocked? Oh, okay. Um, so yeah, I came across the Spartan race website and this was like in the very beginning of gosh, very beginning of Spartan race. And I was like, Oh, Hey, look, there's one on my birthday. Why not? Malibu. I'll go give that a shot. I've never been to Malibu. I've never done a Spartan race. Yeah. Um, so I started doing them then and, and really got hooked into it. I thought it was a blast. I had a great time. Yeah. Yeah. At least I, I, for the most part, they were still doing gladiators back then. Yes. The big guys yep. with the sticks. And one caught me right in the junk on oh. my first race uh. and almost took me out. Um, but I was like, yeah, okay, it's fine. I'll be all right. 
So did you do it with a group of friends or this was just your own idea? No, this was me on my own. Okay. Yeah. I went out. uh, I had a buddy who rode up with me just to keep me company on the drive. Yeah. But I signed up on my own and just was like, I'm going to go do this. And what was your, besides getting hit in the drunk, what was your overall experience of a Spartan race? <laughs> um, it was it was pretty amazing. I had yeah. a great time. It was wet and it was cold. It was December. Yeah. Um, and nobody really knew what to expect from Spartan races yeah. at that point in time because they were still pretty new. Yeah. I was just telling Rachel this story. Actually, uh, the first Spartan race I did, since nobody knew what to expect, people were showing up in like full-blown costume. Oh, right? wow. Because the Warrior Dash... It, came out yeah. just a little before right. that right yeah. Yeah. yeah and so people showed up and and in my heat was this group of people who were dressed up like super mario characters yeah including like the mushroom character and they had like I these big it. elaborate costumes on and the big yeah. like hat like the mushroom hat and everybody took off and i'm like all right well that's interesting and about a mile in <laughs> I came across them again, and the hat, the like mushroom hat, is off to the side. Yeah, and everything's like, just covered in mud, and they looked absolutely miserable. Yeah, and I was like, oh man, I'm sorry, that sucks. So this uh, first Spartan, you did how long was it? Uh, it was a sprint, so it was okay. four miles. Got it. Yeah, it took me a little under an hour. It was nice. a great time. I had I had a lot of fun. And then, how did you get more seriously into Spartan? Like, where did it go from there? Um, so actually, where it went from there was uh, I. I learned there were other links yeah. and I was like, Oh, well I want to do this super cause the super is like eight miles yeah. and let's see if I can do that. And I'm, so there's the, the competitive part yeah. that I really get into. And then there's also the, can my body do this? Yeah. Um, which is actually one of the reasons I have the number of tattoos that I have. <laughs> like I Testing enjoy your body for real. I, yeah. I enjoy the art, but after yeah. a while it got to a point where I was like, well, I wonder how much like this would hurt. Yeah. And then I'd make it through and it wouldn't be bad. And I'd be like, okay, cool. There's another fear that's gone. I um, see. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. So, um, I went out and did, so uh, wait, wait, which tattoo hurt the most? I heard the ribs are always the worst. Uh, the one on my chest. I have one that oh, goes chest. from shoulder to shoulder across my sternum. And that was the most painful. That was horrible. That yeah. sounds painful. That did it take a long ribs, time? Ribs was the worst for that's me. That's what you were saying. Ribs. Yeah. yeah. But I haven't had my chest tattoo. <laughs> so. when, they, when they hit the chest oh, plate right here, yeah. it's uh. just a miserable experience. That do, you have, need... do you have top of the feet at all? No, I don't. Oh, uh-huh. yeah. Is that bad? Yeah, it was pretty bad. I don't know. The much guy of... tattooed over my nipple. It hurt. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's probably worse. Yeah, that was not cool. I was like, hey, dude, don't do that. And they did it. And I was like, yeah, that's like, um, but he's a great tattoo artist. I go back to him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I did. I did a super because a super came around. Um, and at some point, I, I'd done a little bit of them. I, I'd done a couple and really got into it and decided I was going to essentially like quit my job. Wow. Get rid of everything that I own. Uh, get a travel trailer to tow behind the car and start my own online magazine about obstacle course racing. Wow. So I did, um, and took off on this epic, like several months adventure that Mm -hmm. went through like Arizona and Utah and the Rocky mountains and all over. Um, and in that process of running out of money, um, (laughs) I actually wound up at Utah at the uh, Beast out there and met Joe DeSena. Okay, and this is the founder of uh, Spartan Racing? Yeah, yeah. I was the founder of Spartan Racing, and you know, we had a conversation, and as he has with everybody, and that was it. Um, and then 
I was, <laughs> I was living in the travel trailer mm-hmm. outside of my friend's house in San Diego with an extension cord plugged in. I love it. Cause I didn't have a job. I yeah. was, I was basically homeless. Like my I daughter and I are there. Um, did and you say was, my daughter and I are there? No, my dog. Oh, my your dog. dog. Not my oh, okay. dog. No, my dog. Um, and so I, uh, <laughs> I reached out randomly to like uh-huh. Joe DeSena. I had his yeah. email and I, I emailed him and was like, hey, you know, Matt and I've got this like online magazine, but if you guys ever need any help. And he emailed me almost like right away. Yeah. And was like, hey, we're starting our own magazine here at Spartan Race. Very cool. Would you be interested in like talking to us about yeah. it? I said, sure. And they flew me out to Boston and I interviewed for a job being in charge of like content marketing for them. Cool. Which I didn't know that's what I was going out there for. Yeah. Um, and I wound up uh, taking a job with Spartan Race. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. How did you go from you did your first Spartan to like, I'm quitting my job. I'm going to live in a trailer and just do Spartan races. Like what, what happened there? Um, I just kept doing races. So I, I, is it because you loved it so much and you wanted to set up your life in a way that you could just yes. do Spartan race all the time and be in that world? Is that I, what I it was? I loved it so much because I enjoyed like the release and the freedom that it provided. Yeah. You know, and I'd been in a cubicle. This was, yeah. I don't know, I, probably around 2012, 2013. Yeah. Um, 2013. So I'd spent the last seven years in the for-profit education world Yeah. in a cubicle and mm-hmm. which was fine. And it was, it was great. And I, you know, I got a lot out of it, but, the minute I started doing those and being outside, I was like, man, this is what I need to be doing. This yeah. is way better. Yeah. This is absolutely way better. It kind of reminds me of, uh, what was the, uh, Alex Honnold movie we just watched that the free, Oh, uh, free climbing. Or yeah. what? I can't free solo. Free, free solo. solo. Thank yeah. you. It's a great movie. And it's like, he's just like, I'm going to dedicate my life to climbing this mountain. Like I'm going to live in a van and I'm just going to work on, getting every finger hold for El Capitan till the day that I can scale this thing. If it takes 10 years or whatever, no. I don't know. There's something that's kind of cool to that, like level of like, I'm going to live in a bus just so I can like, you know, do this cool outdoors thing and conquer this mountain. I don't know. Yeah. It was um, a cool experience. Yeah. I was getting involved in Spartan races around the same time. I did the first one that came into Illinois. <clears throat> I always did them with a group of people. I never like really raced them. It was more like, you know, five friends and, um, I, I, it was like life changing at that time. It was amazing. And I, I mean, I did a lot. I did the first, uh, um, warrior dash, which the one thing I remember about the first warrior dash in Illinois was they had not worked out a system. So when people were done with the race, they were stuffing their clothes into the, uh, shoes, into the porta potties. <laughs> um, and it was a, it was a disaster. Oh and they were bussing people on the buses and oh, the wow. buses were covered in mud. Um, but then I did a, a Spartan race after that, and the, with those two in contrast, I was like, wow, this is a really right, uh, well-run yeah. event. Yeah. <laughs> There's nobody stuffing clothes into the porta potties. <laughs> they yeah. really know what they're doing. Yeah, I have a Spartan race. Actually, I'm going to do a Spartan race. I was just about to ask if you've done a Spartan race. No, I've never done Dude, it's running, man. Oh, right. <laughs> but I'm going to do it in You're Spartan. You're like a land cheetah. I am a land cheetah. Wait, which one are you going to do? Uh, I don't know, the one in May. Awesome. May 30th? Maybe. Nice. Cool. Nice. Yogi was at your wedding. Yogi was telling me to do it, and I said okay. But here's a question: 
If you do a Spartan race, is that just it for your shoes? Are you sacrificing a pair of shoes to no. the Spartan? No, no I don't no, think no. they were that bad. They don't, I thought they yeah. get totally trashed. No, well they do, but you just yeah, you just them clean them. Okay. You you might get. Do you, not, do you not ever clean your shoes? No. Once no, I get to a certain to dirty them. level, I just, you just don't. Then just... I mow the lawn in them for like a, a season, <laughs> a season, and then that's yeah, it. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, Kevin, I mean, you just use them for lawn mowing shoes. When yeah. There you go. Who, you might get addicted. You might be like, "Honey, I gotta quit my job. I'm gonna just yeah. ride around and do Spartans." Totally. <laughs> or you might get the Spartan rash too. You could get the Spartan rash. That's epic. There was one go year. On. There was one year. There was a Spartan rash. Yeah, it was really bad. I don't think they ever said exactly what it was. Or did they know? Oh, okay. So it was poison ivy, I guess. I mean, I'll get, a, I'll like get a disease if it has a good name. The, what's that? I'll get a disease rash. if it has a good it name. It doesn't Spartan sound cool rash. just to say it's poison ivy. Right, yeah. It's a Spartan it's rash. It, I, I never, it didn't bother me, but I'm not particularly um, allergic, to poison allergic to poison ivy. I don't tend yeah. to have reaction, but okay. I think a few people had some pretty good reactions. Yeah. Yeah. That poison ivy better watch out. I got <laughs> some stuff it should be worried about. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you're if you're going through mud, if you're you know you got to expect yeah. you're, you're in yeah, the woods. Yeah, there's a certain gotta... and, and they did a lot of stuff through like cow fields and stuff. Yeah, which, you know the water. That's yeah. part of the fun. Yeah. It's part of the fun. Yeah, so you're living the Spartan dream. You're doing the races. You're writing for them. What was that experience like? Writing at Spartan HQ. Uh, so that was that was an interesting experience. Um. It was really cool because at the time it was like the dream job. I was yeah. like, this is amazing. Uh, I got to go out and help with different events all over oh, the country. Cool. Um, I helped with the first uh, hurric- like 24-hour hurricane heat. Um, met some great people, worked with some really cool yeah. people there. Um, and then like, I-, I got to live in Boston. And yeah, I'm a Red Sox fan, so that's kind of like a, the mecca. Yeah, it, yeah. it's kind of. I would say it's like being Catholic and going to Rome. Yeah, you know, you get to go to the cathedral, which yeah. is Fenway Park. Yeah, so that was amazing. I got tickets to go to a Red Sox game the first time I'd ever been to one in Fenway, and that's so, awesome. Yeah, it was a it was a great experience, and Boston's a great city. Yeah, Boston's pretty phenomenal. Yeah, so. Was it weird to see the inside of something that you loved from the outside? Or it was. Yeah. That's it was. what I was kind of thinking. It's like yeah. the curtain goes the back, and you're revealed, like, ah. yeah. Did yeah, it lose? It did it lose some of its allure, or are you still? Uh, yeah, it definitely lost some of its allure. You mm-hmm. see, like certain pieces of it that you didn't see before, yeah. and um, I mean, it was still really cool. One of the most interesting things that I found about Spartan Race was when I showed up. Like the vast majority of the people working there had never actually run a Spartan Race. I love it. That's so funny. Like blew my mind. Like yeah. sitting in a meeting and and I was like, "Who's run a Spartan Race?" And like three hands went up out of like the entire that's room. That's so and I funny. Was like that's bonkers. How are yeah. you like? How are you part of this company when you've never run the right? Race? Um, and then. Uh, being in close contact with Joe DeSena for a while was, they referred to him as Hurricane Joe. Yeah. Because he would come through with these ideas yeah. and derail everything everybody was doing to sure. like latch onto his idea. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it was it was definitely interesting to see the inner workings of that. and But also, like, a ton of respect for, like, the event staff. Yeah. Because those guys are out there starting at, like, three or four in the morning yeah. and they're building nonstop and they're just going nonstop until the event's done. And then they tear it all down until like three o'clock in the morning, yeah, pack huge. everything up and head out to the next the one. Next and they're definitely underpaid for what they do. Yeah. 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 
So you're writing these articles. At the same time, were you competitively racing Spartans? Or at that point, you'd kind of... Um, well, so at that point in time, I was still racing. Like, pretty much any chance I could get. Um, anytime I went out to an event... I jumped in and raced. Yeah. Um, So that was like one of the joys of like being part of it. At the same time, I was attending a CrossFit box regularly by my house um, and using that to try and get better at racing, but suddenly finding myself more and more interested in CrossFit. Got it. How did you, uh, I guess before we leave Spartan, did you deal with, have to deal with any injuries or work through anything? Or for the most part, you were like, golden um i definitely like had you know injuries that took place not yeah. a ton yeah um the one big one was i rolled down a mountain in a vehicle in new jersey oh um, as that, part of a spartan thing uh yeah so i was out on uh it's wintergreen mountain in new jersey okay and we were leading a hurricane heat down the mountain um and we were in a gator myself and one other person yeah and the rain, it had rained the night before and the ground was really wet. And as we were coming down, we were in the gator and the guys like doing the hurricane heat were behind us yeah. and, uh, our back tire slid, yeah. and lost traction. We went sideways, hit a rock, went up on the side of the gator oh, wow. and kept sliding and then went off a cliff. And wow. Went, like end over end over end. Wow. Yeah. And the, is this something that has like a roll bar or what exactly happened in that? Yeah. Scenario? It's got a roll bar in it and didn't have a door on my side or a oh, wow. we didn't have seat belts on or helmets or anything like okay. that. Okay. So you roll off a cliff. How'd yeah. you stay in? Yeah. All right. So, uh, <laughs> this is, this is a testament to like being strong. Um, as we started to roll, I grabbed hold of the roll bar and cartwheeled with the vehicle. Wow. And that was what kept me in the in the vehicle. And it's also what kept the guy that was in there with me in the vehicle. Because on my side, there was no door. Wow. That's some Spider-Man shit. It is, yeah. That's, that's the, I, I don't want to die right now. Yeah. That is what that is. Wow. Yeah. So did you get messed up? Yes. Yeah, I have permanent nerve damage in my face and in my head, and then I've got permanent spine and neck damage. So, wow, what was the recovery like from there? How, I guess it rolls. Yeah, they call the ambulance. Yes, or, yeah. yeah, they called an good, ambulance. Good, I'm glad somebody yeah, called, they an called an ambulance. They uh, they took me to a hospital. They stitched up my. Were you eye. unconscious at this point? No, I was totally conscious. Oh wow, yeah. Um, there was like blood pouring down my face. They like wrapped my face up wow. in bandages to keep it from bleeding. They took me down the rest of the way down the mountain. The best part was though, as they're driving me to go get to the ambulance, they take me by the start line. So everybody on the start line sees this guy sitting on this like yeah. on this emergency vehicle with his head wrapped, blood everywhere, uh, like, and there you could hear people just like, oh my, oh my god, god, like, yeah. what happened? And it's like, people are like, oh, well, he was just on course. Somebody like, stands up and says, remember that waiver you signed? Yeah. Signed where it says yeah. you could die? Yeah, yeah there yeah, you go. He yeah. signed that. And, <laughs> um, yeah, so they took us, took me to the hospital, and uh, they stitched up my eye. That I have a small scar above my eye, like literally on my eyelid, where yeah. uh, the doctor was like, "Hey, you're lucky. Two more millimeters, and you wouldn't have an eye." Wow. Um, I actually had a moment of panic in the uh, ambulance 
because they had wrapped both of my oh, eyes. Yeah, yeah. And see. I remember being in the military, we talked, we had a guy who lost an eye and we wrapped his whole head yeah. so that he wouldn't twitch. So he wouldn't yeah, yeah, twitch yeah. his eyes. And I was like, did I lose an eye? And somebody's not mm. telling me. I had yeah, that yeah. moment in yeah. my head. And I remember like just being on the verge of like wanting to start freaking out in the ambulance. And then I was like, well, I got to stay calm. So, I mean, worst case scenario, I get to wear a cool patch for the rest of my that's life. Right. And I was like, I people love just that. call me patches. And so I just changed the narrative in my head. On I the like way that. To the that's good. Yeah. And then they stitch you up. And then what was your recovery like from there? A uh, long time. Yeah. Yeah. Long time. Um, I actually wound up leaving Spartan Race as a result. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so, and that's when I made my way out here. Okay. What year was this, the accident? 14. Oh, wow. Uh, 2014, so six years ago. Wow. And so, ironically, that was the year I started CrossFit, 2014. Oh, no. Yeah. 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 I, I started doing CrossFit before I ever left San Diego. My first oh, okay. CrossFit experience actually was uh, with a group of Navy SEALs. Oh, that's Whoa. awesome. Yeah. So it was um, I, I at work one day, one of my coworkers came in, her husband's a uh, Marine, and she's like, hey, there's this benefit workout that's happening over at crossfit 619 the money goes towards this foundation you get a t-shirt and like she said t-shirt and i was like yeah okay, like, cool. i'm in yeah i get a t-shirt um and it was the i don't know if you're familiar with the 31 heroes wad yes okay so it was the 31 heroes workout we show up uh, a bunch of us from work and there's all these Navy SEALs and the parents of one of the people that died oh, wow. in that. And all these guys had served with the guys that went down in the 31 Heroes oh, um, wow. tragedy. And this was like their memorial workout for their friends. And so we're all sitting there and it was, it was super touching. They invited all the veterans up to come and like hold a red balloon. And we released 31 red balloons for the guys who didn't make it. Um, and then they let the Navy SEALs start. Mm -hmm. And the Navy SEALs went first. And we're watching this, and probably like, I don't know, 19, 20 minutes in, like the Navy SEALs start to look like they're getting gassed. And I remember <laughs> looking over at my buddy Jack going, hey, the SEALs look tired. I think we're in trouble. <laughs> like, I don't know what we've gotten ourselves into. Yeah. Um, so that was my first CrossFit experience. And then oh, when I was out awesome. in Boston, um, obviously I didn't do CrossFit really on the road, right? Yeah. I was doing more Spartan races. But when I was out in Boston, I went to CrossFit Southie, which was a huge influence on me. Yeah. Um, like Chris Gossler and his crew out there, they're just phenomenal human beings. They run an absolutely amazing box. Yeah. Um, their coaching is incredible. Yeah. Like just absolutely incredible. It was like super like inspiring to go. Yeah. 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 It was just like a great community to be part yeah, of. It was yeah. a great community. When did you decide to become an L1 coach? Um, the end of 2014. Okay. I, I think is what it was. Yeah. The end of 2014, I decided to become an L1 coach. Um, and became an L1 coach and didn't really know what I was going to do with it, to be honest, like for a while. And, um, then at some point, somehow a conversation started about opening a box. Yeah. yeah. So I'm curious cause you've kind of like seen it from all sides now because mm -hmm. you were a CrossFit enthusiast mm -hmm. and then a coach and a box owner yeah. and kind of now back to being a coach. You've yeah. kind of seen all the different angles of it. So give us some of your perspective on that. 
Um, yeah. So I, I guess, you know, I, I love CrossFit, like in general, um, CrossFit saved my life in more than a couple different ways. If I hadn't been doing CrossFit and built the, the kind of strength that CrossFit can build, I probably wouldn't have survived that accident. So that was the first time that it saved my life. Um, coming back from that accident, CrossFit prevented me from deteriorating even more. Mm. So it was one of the things that the uh, neurologists um, and spine doctors told me in, at Tufts Medical Center in Boston is they said, you know, your physical strength is what kept you safe and you need to keep lifting because now you're going to start experiencing a severe amount of like bone deterioration and all these other things. And the best thing in the world that you can do is continue to lift because it's going to keep your bone density up. Right. So yeah. lifting improves bone density. So it saved my life again there. Um, and then also, uh, you know, kind of that road back from recovery is it was super challenging at times and being able to have that outlet and that ability to go in and do something and just have a way to like, to your point, Kevin, like shut my brain off for like 12 minutes at a time and just focus on like breathing and doing the movement and getting yeah. into the flow. Like that, that helped, like that helped and it just kind of kept me moving. So, um, I am definitely a CrossFit enthusiast. I love it as a sport. I think it's super like amazing to watch these human beings do all these different modalities of fitness and do them so well. Yeah. Um, from a coaching perspective, it's really cool to see people progress. Um, I get really nerdy on technique too. Like that's one of my big things. Like I, I've study, I'm, like I'll read whatever I can. I'll watch videos and understand like how somebody moves and why they move. And is it because their femur is too long or, you know, different things and how yeah. the setup should be. Um, it can be frustrating at times. Cause you're like, you're not moving right. And you're like, I got to figure out the right way to communicate yeah. it to this sure. person to get them to understand why moving right is so beneficial for them. And you see people who treat CrossFit like a competition when they're in the gym yeah. And, and they shouldn't like, it's not a competition when you're in the gym. It's a competition when you're at a competition, when you're in the gym, it's about training and getting healthier and feeling better and learning to move and truly like being the physically the best that you can be and the healthiest that you can be until you're like 90. Right. That's, that's my thought process and, and reasoning behind CrossFit. Um, yeah. And that's, that's how I approach it as a coach, as a coach. I, I don't want somebody to have the fastest time in the room. I want them to move great when they're 75 and attribute it to what they learned when they were in CrossFit. Right. Um, from a box owner perspective, like <laughs> you always hear work for yourself. It'll be great. Yeah. Work for yourself. You'll never get time off. Like it didn't <laughs> exist. Um, so all that working out that you like to do, forget about that. Never happened. Yeah. Never happened. I mean, if you're a gym owner, you can just work out all day, right? right? You just work out all day. That's all you ever do. Um, so in the time that I was, a, I was a gym owner, um, in the, the three years that I own a box, uh, I coached over 7,500 hours. Oh my goodness. In three years. Um, I coached so Monday through Friday, starting at the 5am class and I coached up until the 5pm class. Wow. Uh, I also coached Saturdays and Sundays. I did all the programming, wow. um, whether it was CrossFit or Olympic lifting or uh 
the beginner's class, on-ramp, doesn't matter what it was. How like, long until you got burned out? Uh, three years. <laughs> three years it took you to get three burned years. out. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. Um, I did a lot of variety with it, and I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed you know, watching, again, watching people progress and seeing people PR and watching people, like, accomplish things they never thought they could accomplish before. Um, seeing people go off to competitions and, you know, do new cool things. Like, it's very... CrossFit to me is, is twofold. It's like aspirational and inspirational, right? So the inspirational part of it is from a coaching perspective, sitting there and watching someone do something that they never thought they could do before. Yeah. And realizing that we as human beings always have another level that we can get to and another way that we can become a better version of ourselves. The aspirational part of it is the sport. Like to me, like seeing someone like Frazier or Toomey or those guys like go out and just absolutely destroy these workouts yeah. and not seem to be bothered one bit. Like that's aspirational. That's something you can be like, Oh, that'd be cool to be able to do that. But at the end of the day, like the inspiration is what keeps you coming back as at least keeps me coming back as a coach. So, um, and then burning out on it right? getting to a point where, you know, one, you're not paying yourself much. It's not right. like you're, you're making bank as a CrossFit coach. Um, sorry for anybody that's got these dreams. Mm -hmm. of I, it being is a rich funny. Man. I think people think that you must make a lot of money. And then I have to remind them like, you know, if we, if, if I was making that much money, why am I mopping my own floor? Right. Yeah, exactly. Or why am I cleaning the toilets? Right, it's yeah. just, Everybody's it's like, not, you must no. make so much money. You're like, yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> Go ahead and think so. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you, you get to a point where you're like, well, you know, some things have probably got to change. Um, Rachel and I got together too. And that, that had a big, a big part of like me looking at transitioning out of being an affiliate owner. And I wasn't, I didn't even plan on coaching for a while. I just needed a break. Yeah. Um, and then I did that and went back into marketing. So you kind of needed a break from CrossFit or you kind of were burnt out and you were like, what's next? You segue into a marketing company. So tell us about what you're doing with this marketing firm. Yeah. So it's, uh, <laughs> so I, as I was transitioning out and I was like, okay, well I got to find, I'm going to find a regular job again. Yeah. And I wanted to get back into marketing because I really enjoyed marketing. Um, I, I reached out to a friend of mine out on the West coast and I was like, Hey, do you know anybody that needs any marketing help? And he's like, actually, you know, the company I work for needs somebody to come in and do some digital marketing stuff with like our social media and the website. And I was yeah. Like, Great. Perfect. Like, let's do that thing. And, um, it, I got hired, uh, and started rebuilding all their digital marketing aspects and pieces. Um, and it's, a pretty interesting industry. <laughs> so it's called Mankind. Yep. It's the name of it. And you're Mankind. the VP of sales and marketing for Mankind. Uh, yeah. I'm which is a dispensary. Is it uh, purely online or is it an in-person dispensary? No. So there is no such thing as an online dispensary. Okay. Yeah. You, uh, I mean, you can do like, there's an e-commerce platform for every dispensary and you can do delivery, those kinds of things. But like, you can't sell across state lines. Okay. You can't even sell outside of your own city. You probably could, but it'd be a pain in the ass. Yeah. Um, so it's a physical dispensary okay. in San Diego. It's the third highest grossing dispensary in the United States. So um, to give you an example, like some dispensaries will do uh, half a million dollars, you know, every six months, million dollars, yeah. every, you know, a million dollars a year. 
Um, Mike Tyson was quoted in an article, and, and don't quote me on this because I don't know that Mike Tyson actually said this, but <laughs> it was quoted in an article, <laughs> so I'm quoting the article, um, where he talked about the dispensary that he's part owner of yeah. and how they do half a million dollars uh, a month, um, and they consider that very successful. By comparison, we do half a million dollars a week. Wow. Yeah. So we're the third highest grossing one in the United States. Wow. So what is like a day in the life look like for you marketing for them? Um, well, it initially it was learning how to navigate all of the rules and regulations that exist prohibiting marketing cannabis. Oh, wow. Yeah, good uh, point. Yeah, because social media, uh, Google, all those oh, guys. Oh, yeah, all like, the normal marketing channels yeah. you would use. You can't – I don't even know the legality. So can yeah. you, you can't – you couldn't put up a Google AdWord for – Cannabis? I don't know. No, you can't. So Google even ads, in a state where it's legal, mm -mm, because Google can't take that and make it something that wouldn't pop in a different uh, state. So if I'm, for instance, if I lived in Texas and yeah. I was curious about, you know, hey, yeah. San Diego dispensaries, and I pulled up San Diego dispensaries, you would see the ad. ad. Yeah. Oh wow. And it's illegal still in the state of Texas. Right. You know, medicinally, right. it's still it's legal, but so I guess that eliminates a lot of the normal digital marketing channels, right? I mean, you couldn't do Facebook ads for the same reason, or well, yeah, maybe right? not ads, but you still ha have you still use that platform, right? Yeah, we still like we still have a Facebook. We have a social media presence. Sorry, I spilled water on here. We have a social media presence. Um, we still have Facebook. We've got Instagram. We've got Pinterest. We do yeah. all those things. Um, we're just very careful with what we post um, because at any point in time that if they if you trip their algorithm in just yeah. the right way it'll they'll shut you down so what's an example of something that you can't do i mean i guess you couldn't include a link to buy now right because you no. can't do it yeah, like you online can't do e a link to buy now or so you anything can't do like that. that are there certain like words you can't use that would trip the algorithm or it doesn't um, sound like that not really okay. i mean it's We've tried to get them to explain to us on yeah. multiple occasions, like, hey, why did this happen? Because so we've had our Instagram shut down twice. Okay. Um, we've rebuilt it each time. So. Oh, and you don't even get to know why. Yeah, no, they won't even tell you. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's it's interesting. You're like, uh, yeah. why did this get shut down? And they're like, well, you violated our, our policy. Yeah. And you're like, okay, well, what violated the policy? And they right. won't tell you. Are you allowed to market the CBD? Uh, no. Really? Like, you can't, you can't sell the CBD, like... Because we're a dispensary, it's very different. Um, like, a company selling CBD, though, still can't run Google AdWords. Like, it's still considered, like, taboo to run CBD ads through Google. Uh, so there's – you've got to learn to be creative yeah. if you want to do that. So yeah. some of the things that, like, we've <clears> – <throat> done and that we've looked at it are specifically like ways to circumvent like all the little things that they have in place to crawl over your page sure um and you have to get you know you've got to really be able to dive into seo and sem sure to really get your website to trigger um and we've done other things you know you do like billboards and billboards go up everywhere yeah yeah that's pretty expensive and not very uh, the ROI on it's not super good. It's more, you're doing billboards more to just block your competitors. More I see. Than anything. Yeah. 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 Um, but really just creating, a, a brand that 
has some kind of connection for people. Right. Are you, as you, one of your big things you're trying to differentiate? Cause mm-hmm. it's like, why would I go to one dispensary yeah. over another? Right. So yeah. is it sort of like you're building this brand of, we have a better product or, I mean, is that kind of what you're doing or what is the, yeah, I mean, to an extent. So we didn't really have a brand defined when I came in. Um, yeah. and that's something that I've done in the past. Like I worked with Spartan race to help refine their brand. Uh, I did it with my own online magazine. I've done yeah. some other stuff. So when I came in, one of the things that I took on was the idea of creating an actual brand image. Um, and we started a campaign called the Be Kind campaign. And so we just ran imagery that showed like people connecting mm-hmm. and reminding people to like be kind to each other and, you know, be kind to themselves and how cannabis helps with that and how it impacts their life in a positive way. Yeah. And when we started doing that, like people started connecting with us more. Yep. Um, they saw us as a lifestyle, right? And a company that cared more than just, hey, we have great weed. And we do, like we've got phenomenal weed. We spend a ton of time like combing all of California to find small growers sure. that you know, don't get a lot of love um, so that our customers can have really high quality products. But at the same time, we're trying to educate everybody about, hey, here are all the different uses of cannabis. And this is what, you know, this is what it can do for you um, as opposed to like some of the other things that are out there as avenues for like relief uh, from pain, relief from mental disorders or what have you. Right. Did cannabis play a part in your recovery from the accident? Um, It does now. Yeah. So I had doctors uh, prescribing me all kinds of different pills like opioids all over the place and in uh my addictive personality um not only was i a heavy drinker but i really liked pills i was like oh hey look these are great it's so easy um and so i became very anti like hey i don't want to take all these pills like i don't want them they're not i I can't do it um and i had a doctor who was like hey look i know you've got you know these issues i know you're sober um and I know you won't take pills, but I also know like you can't sleep without waking with a migraine because of the nerve damage in your head and you have all these other issues. He's like, have you thought about trying cannabis products? I was like, man, I don't even like cannabis. Like I didn't use it growing up, even though I grew up around it. And he's like, it's probably the exact reason you should probably try it that, and it's better for your body. Um, so I said, sure. And I, I use it as prescribed. Um, and I only take it in the way that I was prescribed to take it. And yeah, it's like, plays a huge part in my ability to like, be okay. Like just function. With my sister, who's also part of a dispensary, uh, it was a very similar story. She'd had a back injury, she fell off of a horse and they had prescribed opioids. And um, her experience with cannabis has been that it helped her in many ways to get off of those medications and to you know be happier healthier live a better life yeah yeah 100 percent. and is that a little bit of what you're trying to do with the brand where you're trying to uh, kind of bring it to new markets for like athlete recovery and that kind of thing i mean we were talking a little bit before the before we started where you were kind of looking at different avenues yeah absolutely um I think there's been this lifelong you know this this long-term idea that you know, when you talk about somebody that uses cannabis, that it brings up like the cast from Dazed and Confused, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> right? Which is a great movie, but yeah. like everybody's like, oh man, 
I don't want to do that because I don't want to be sitting on a couch and like getting yeah. all this weight and everything else. But the reality is, is that those people that are saying that, um, that are looking at it that way, it's like an antiquated idea. People use all kinds of different things for, you know, pain relief, whether it's opioids or even ibuprofen. Like yeah. Both of those are super bad for your liver. Um, they do tons of damage. Like you can damage your kidneys. Uh, and then, you know, at the same time, people, a lot of people use alcohol as a way to like release, right? And yeah. Alcohol is super toxic for your body. I mean, right. like all kinds of damage. Um, and yet all those people are like super active and they're like, oh, but I won't use that. And it's because they don't understand one, you don't have to smoke it. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think that's a big piece for people is like, Hey, I don't, I don't want to smoke it because I don't want to damage my lungs and you know, sure. Um, and anybody who says that smoking doesn't smoking cannabis doesn't have an impact on your lungs. It's not honest. Um, that's my two cents, but, (laughs) um, but there's other ways you can take it. Right. So now they have like tinctures that you can take sublingually or you can take an edible and eat an edible and all that. Like, still provides you the benefits without some of the other things the that people, things, yeah, yeah. kind of like sh- get people, you know, a little bit away from it. Um, m- probably one of the biggest reasons I didn't want to use it when I was growing up was I didn't want to smell like it. Yeah. You know, everybody smoked it. I didn't want to smoke it and I didn't want to smell like it. There was no like dosing procedure, you know, sure. Like, most people got way too high and just sat there. Well, now that, you know, there's, it's legal and they can take time to understand like how it should be dosed and how it should be used. You know, there's a lot more education out there. We're trying to provide that education to everybody, whether it's, you know, CrossFit athletes or runners or, you know, surfers have been doing it forever. So you don't have to teach (laughs) them anything. Um, But there's a whole active community, you know, like marathon runners who just absolutely like brutalize their body, like running 26 miles. There's a huge benefit there for them. So we're trying to open that up a little bit more. Yeah, it makes total sense. And then do you have, uh, I guess, uh, so you're, you're trying to educate the world. And is there like a, a long-term goal with the company? It's, it's to sort of like educate as many people as possible, obviously get them to buy the product. Is there a, a long-term plan that you're shooting for with it? or? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that the long-term plan for anybody within like the cannabis industry in general is to see it become fully federally legal. Right. You know, and be able to have it tested on a regular basis, you know, to really show what the benefits are, you know, from a scientific standpoint, because as it's been illegal for so long, it hasn't had the ability to do that. Like the government's blocked it from being tested and becoming federally legal. There's the ability to do that. Right. And it's kind of had an image problem. So that's hurt it too. So hopefully with the kind of marketing that you're doing to spread the word, it's helping move that ball forward. Yeah. I mean, we see all kinds of, everybody from all kinds of different walks of life. We see like grandmothers come in in the morning and get what they need. And then in the afternoon, you'll see like some folks on their lunch break. And then you've got like businessmen who roll in. I mean, it's everybody, all walks of life. That's awesome. It seems like CBD itself is kind of opening the door to that stuff because I, I mean, you see CBD everywhere. And I mean, all the uh, CrossFit Games athletes and their stories all and all these influencers are always pumping their brand of CBD. For sure. I think that's kind of like a gateway to the real stuff. <laughs> <laughs> There's, I, I mean, 
there's different camps on like the CBD thing. I mean, it's there's definitely some benefit to using CBD in and of itself, but there is evidence that CBD, when paired with even low levels of THC, offers ten times the amount of benefit that you would get hmm. from just CBD alone, um, because okay. the THC is what really grabs hold of that endocannabinoid system and starts to release all the benefits. Interesting. Well, I noticed we've been going on for a while, but I want to make sure that before we close this, we talk about a certain wedding that just occurred. <laughs> yeah. Because that was a lot of fun. It was, was a good wedding. wedding. I, I've been a to wedding. a lot of weddings in my day, and I have to say it was, the service was sweet, short, and to the point. <laughs> we had a seven-minute time cap on the service. Seven-minute time cap. <laughs> we had a seven-minute AMRAP. Seven-minute AMRAP. It was, it was a seven-minute time cap, and like, it was done. Yeah. Did anybody actually time it? Because I would love to know if it was. I think good. it really was like seven minutes. I feel wow. like you're right. Yeah, it was, it was pretty short. Amazing. Yeah. That's awesome. So, did you guys both work on planning it? Uh, yeah, we did. I mean, she did a lot. I just kind of tagged along as she let me. <laughs> was there one part or a couple parts that you took the main, the main driver on? Um, was there? Oh, dealing with the vendors. Yeah. 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 Oh. It seemed like anytime there was a vendor, I got the, can you please call these people? Yeah. I was like, you know, sure. You know, it's funny in our relationship, if there's any phone call that needs to be made, yeah, I used he's to do making that. it. I don't like to do phone yeah. calls. Yeah. No, she, calls. she doesn't like to do phone calls either. She's like, here, you call these people. I'm like, why can't you? And she's like, no. <laughs> like, All right, I'll do it. Fine, whatever. Yeah. So if I recall, I mean, so we had seen you guys at the games. Was that two years ago? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you were either just engaged or else it was the first I heard about it, right? First engaged. Yeah. So what's the story of the engagement? The dogs did it. The dogs did it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, pretty much. Uh, like we were. So Rachel didn't like. Like Rachel actually. Can I tell this? She didn't have any. Like she never thought she was going to get married. Okay. And then she was out drinking with her sister. <laughs> <laughs> and I get this like text message, like totally random. I'm like sitting there at home and I get this message from her sister who's like, Hey, would you ever consider marrying Rachel? And I was like, what is happening right now? Like, where did this come from? Like, I'm like, okay. Just, How long had you guys been together at that point? Uh, about a year. I think. A little more than a year. Okay. That's funny. Like. That's at least a solid amount yeah, of time. Yeah, at least yeah. it wasn't after like no, two, days uh, no. two days. No, no, no. <laughs> this was this was like a year. And okay. uh, I was, you know, I didn't think Rachel ever wanted to do it. So I, I just kind of was like, I'm just going to stay with Rachel. And I don't care if we ever get married as long as she's happy and I'm happy. Um, and I was like, sure. So it became this then like thought process of like, okay, well, I'm going to ask her to marry me then because it turns out Rachel actually wants to get married. And um, right before the games, I actually, she came home and I was like, hey, the dogs have something for you, but you have to close your eyes. And I, knew, and I did that because she's a sucker for the dogs. Of course. Yeah. And I figured if the dogs were involved, the likelihood that she would say yes went up dramatically. That's smart. Yeah. 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 Uh, and so when she opened her eyes, like I was down on one knee and the dogs Aww. were there and we had the ring and she started crying, which she's going to start doing now. <laughs> she's already like, she tears up at everything and it's kind of cute. So adorable. at this point we can safely assume that she said yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Good. Shoo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. There was a black eye. What was so, the story okay. With the, black eye? the black eye was because she was doing rope climbs in the gym and this was like right before we went to the games and 
the rope swung up from the bottom because uh-huh. she was violently climbing the rope and it had that weighted end and uh, it came up and punched uh, her right oh, in the oh eye. Oh goodness. And I was like, great, we're going to go to the games and everybody's going to think oh, I... Oh, I think I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. She, had, yeah she had a black eye at the games. Right. Yeah. And everybody's going to think I beat her. Right? <laughs> oh, no. But uh, no, it was, it was fine. We actually were a little concerned she might end up... Because that was the second black eye, right? That was the first. That was the first. What was the second one? The following year doing walking the dog. Oh, walking the dog. Yeah, she got another black eye. So she's gotten like a black eye. <laughs> that like one's every that year. one's less believable. That was less believable. Walking the dog, right? <laughs> she fell into the door. <laughs> it happens sometimes. It happens sometimes. So yeah. Wow. So when you get married, everybody tells you, you know, like remember the moment, be in the moment. Do you feel like there was a moment that really stood out to you? Yes. Uh, when we got married? Yeah. 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 Uh, well, not actually like during the ceremony because that was really short and I don't remember much of it. Um, it was, so we did our first look before. Oh, okay. And the photographer had me like facing the wall um, with my hands behind my back. Actually, no, just kidding. Um, so I was, I was facing the wall and he's like taking pictures of me. Well, Rachel walks up behind me, um, and then he's like, okay. And I don't know if you guys met our photographer. He was yes. the most energetic human being. In oh, the he was. Yeah. yeah. He was that way from like the beginning. Yeah. And he's like, okay, perfect. Stay here. And he ran around to the other side. And when he got around to the other side, he's like, okay, now you can turn around. And I turned around and Rachel was standing there in her, in her dress with her hair done and was just absolutely stunning. And, uh, yeah, that's the moment I'll never forget that. And she looked at me and she's like, don't cry. <laughs> I was like, why am I not allowed to cry? Like, why can't I cry? It's cause if I would have started crying, she would have cried. Yeah. I gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was the moment I won't ever forget that. And the, uh, the lady in charge of the venue coming back and asking us, uh, letting us know that like, she didn't think everybody was there. And did we want to like wait an extra 10 oh, minutes right. and start late? And Rachel and I were like, no, yeah, we're that starting would not on be, time. That would yeah. not be in line with your character. That's yeah. what I'm picking right. up on. Yeah, no. We're, everyone, like, we're everyone, starting on time. And everyone that's late has to do burpees. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're like, it's our wedding. Like, they're <laughs> yes, late. It's our right. wedding. That's it's right. our wedding. We're starting on time. Plus, like, we both get hangry, and yes. like, yes. that was a risk, you know? Yeah. Needed to get some food. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. But yeah, seeing Rachel for the first time, like, in her dress, that was, I'll never forget that. That's awesome. It was, it was a beautiful night. It was. Beautiful night. Good people there. And um, I always just think it's funny how life works because uh, we had had a few interactions throughout the years. Mm -hmm. Maybe some interesting clients that may or may not have been involved (laughs) in some discussions between two different affiliate owners. Back in the day, we will not get on specifics. But uh, we had had some interactions. And um, I just always thought that you were a really good person. So it's been really fun to like not just have these distant interactions, but to get to know you and get to know Rachel. Um, so even though I'm not a huge fan of this whole moving out to San Diego thing. Um, <laughs> well, then we can come, we can go visit them. And yeah, 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 we have plenty right, of room. Right, you guys are, right. yeah. just come on out. Yeah. So, um, I'm, I've been really happy that you guys came over and we've gotten to know you better. And yeah, we've been, uh, it, it was exactly what I needed. Yeah. No, that's that's awesome. exactly what I needed. Yeah. yeah. That's great to hear. That's awesome. Well, thanks for joining us for the podcast. You're welcome. Sorry that went like two hours. 
We're at an hour and 24 minutes, but that's good. Kevin can edit Kevin it down. Kevin can edit, it. Kevin can edit yeah. it down. You cut down every time. Make Ryan me talks. sound smart. <laughs> yeah. And, and who knows if we're, if we're lucky, maybe before Rachel goes out, we can get a podcast with her. The, it'll be like. Look the, at her face right yeah, now. Yeah. That's, that's the no. That's the no face. Okay. All right. I can dream. I can she dream. can do it. Yeah. She can do it. She yeah. needs to be talked to. Yeah. This has been great, though. We appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, guys, for having me. That was and awesome. I'll take us out, I guess. Do it. This has been another episode of the Thunderbolt Strength Podcast. Until next time, stay strong. strong.